0: That's in custody, to be praying for all. It's a time to truly be praying for salvation of souls and for people to be thinking about the eternal state. Um, You know, when we look at everything that's going on in the world, when we look at all of the things that we see on news headlines, it's important to realize there really is only one answer. There really is only one hope, Jesus. Jesus. Um, and just truly to be praying for people to realize that and to come to a true place of surrender and to be praying for the church to be the salt and light, for the church to be what it needs to be and for us as individuals to go forth with his word amongst the people that we know. Um, and I encourage you, if you know, folks that you're friends with bring up what recently happened or somebody reaches out, you're in North Carolina, how are things? Talk about Jesus with them. Take that as an opportunity to share the gospel, to, to remind them, you know, that was, yeah, that was a really terrifying situation. If you were in that, where are you going to be at your last breath? You can see that's a bold thing. It's a needed thing. We need to have those conversations with our loved ones, with people we may not even know because we don't know when somebody's last breath is, but we can know if we've been faithful to the God, the calling that our savior gives us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the son. Thank you for salvation that gives us access to you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray for the UNC campus, the community, Lord, the people there, the suspect that's in custody, Lord, everyone involved in this, Lord. We pray for salvation. We pray for coming to know you, Lord. We pray for healing for the community, Lord, for the family members, Lord God, for the parents who just dropped children off and everything that went on, Lord. We just pray for your hand to be seen, Father God. Lord, we thank you for time that we can come into your word, Lord, that we can come and remember who you are, your faithfulness, your character, Lord, that in the midst of these things, Lord, as we see in the Psalms, we would not get lost in the circumstance but we would get lost in who you are for that alone brings comfort and peace be with us now Lord as we go into your word as we continue in Psalm 9 Lord God Holy Spirit fill me to deliver the message and the words that you need for your people and Holy Spirit keep aside the distractions that all here just focus on you all watching just focus on you all listening just focus on you and you alone in Jesus name Amen. Again, amidst everything that we see going on and the desperation in our culture, Jesus. I can't say that enough. And it, it's a reminder for us to also remember that in a culture that wants to make everything so relative and wants to make everything so gray, that idea that I talk about sometimes with the reality of the duality, we really do have to stand in that. We really do have to stand in the fact that it's either you're his or you're not his. And I think in this time, it is a true call for the church, for us, for the believers to live according to God's word and God's word alone. To check everything in accordance to God's word and his word alone. And in the midst of everything that's going on, it's fitting that we're in the book of Psalms because we've already seen within this book urgency. We've seen emotion, we've seen crying out to the Lord, and we've seen all of these pleas from the voice of David going and being taken to God. And what does he do when he takes it to God? He doesn't look at self, he looks to God. He remembers not the circumstance, but who God is. The evidence of what God has done, the faithfulness of God, the character of God. And that's something that we need to do. And we need to think about the words of Paul. Paul talks so much run the race with endurance, run this race. We have to discipline our bodies. It's a discipline, saints. It's not just can happen by happenstance. You have to discipline yourself when trials come, when tribulation comes, when woe comes. How do you handle it? What's your default? and disciplining yourself, I'm going to go to prayer. I'm going to go to the word of God. I'm going to go to the word of God. I don't feel like reading this right now, but I'm going to go to it and I'm going to remember who you are because everything in this is true. You are alpha and omega, beginning and end, and I have to stand on Christ alone because we have the whole counsel of the word of God. So it's really important that we do that and we keep training ourselves because being a disciple takes discipline. You cannot be a disciple without discipline discipline now last week we looked at the first two verses of Psalm 9 and gave that charge to ponder as I like to say and meditate on those two verses over the last week how did you do with it how many of you did the task scheduled your open heart surgery told you to do it and had an appointment with the Lord to search your heart and if you didn't do it and if you did it do it again because you never arrive, we never get there. We can't pat ourselves on the back, I'm such a good Christian. If you do that, knock it off, Long Island again. But we can't do that. We need to continually be saying, search me, Lord, so that we can say, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. And if you can't say that, go to him so you can. Did you tell people of his marvelous works? Did you rest and be glad in who he is? Did you ask somebody? Did you go to somebody in this fellowship and say, hey, how has God reminded you of his marvelous works lately? And if you didn't do that, do it. We have to refine one another. And the other one, did you sing to him? Did you sing worship this last week? Show of hands, who sang worship in their home this last week? Good, I can call on any of you. Rui, sing for us. No, I'm just kidding. But. (laughs) It is important that we please go to him and worship. And remember, the ultimate worship song is your life. Romans 12 calls us to be a living sacrifice. That living sacrifice is a song unto the Lord. So tonight, we sang Great is Thy Faithfulness before prayer. And again, that's a reminder, focusing on him, focusing on his character, focusing on his faithfulness. And we're going to go on in Psalm 9 and a reminder of how this psalm goes. We saw it already. It opens with that joyful thanksgiving. It shifts. We're going to see to faith in the future at God's sovereign hand, then a prayer request. And then we're going to see that same pattern through the second half of this. And there's a verse that we're going to hit tonight that is a beautiful gem smack dab in the middle of this psalm. Memorize it. Not going to say what it is, but you'll see when we get there. Memorize it. So we go onwards. Verse 3. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. So we see the psalm starts with praise. That's where we started. It starts with this cry for praise, how to praise. It gives us different ways of praising that we may not always think of. And then now in these verses 3 through 5, we get the reasons of that praise. How can David praise? There's the wonder of who he is, and there's the reminder of all he has done. Because think about David's journey. He has seen God conquer enemies. He has seen enemies. He has seen the wicked. And David comes from a place knowing God has handled those situations. God has been there, and he surrenders it to him. Now, in verse three, we see when my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. God having power over enemies. And he doesn't take any of it in his control. He could just fight them. But again, they shall fall and perish at whose presence? God's presence. They shall. Again, last week, we talked about the different ways we see phrases in this psalm. We'll see, I will. We see the ways that he directs towards the enemies. They shall. And then we see all of the things with God. You have. The Lord shall. We see certain phrases as he goes through this. They will fall. They will perish. Think of what we saw in Psalm 1. When we looked at that, what happens with the godly and the ungodly? We saw the perishing of the ungodly. In Psalm 2, the nations that tried to rebel against God in vanity. It doesn't get anywhere. He knows securely where they will go, how it will go for them, trusting in the Lord. Verse 4, for you have maintained my cause, sorry, for you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have, you sat, again, pointing to God looking to God, it's all coming from confidence in who God is, knowing the right, the cause, what he is trying to plea. He's going to go for in accordance to God's will. Now, there's something important with this for us to see here. This isn't liberty to say, well, God's on my side. Bam. I get whatever I want. If God is for me, nothing can be against me. I get what I want. No. No. We have to be cautious when we approach that. That's not what this is saying here. Because some people, and particularly right now with movements going on in the progressive church and the new apostolic reformation, all these things, will actually take these three verses and not look at them the way that they are shown in the context and say, you see how you can claim it, you can name it, you can say, you're going to do this, God, you're going to do this, God, you're going to do that. No, David knows there's right and wrong. He knows there's good and evil. He gets the reality of the duality. What it comes down to is it's not about God being on our side. It's about us being on his side. And how are we on his side? We are anchored in the word of God alone. And that's the important piece of it. The word of God alone. It doesn't come to this place of, Well, God is love, so that means you can do whatever. No, sin is sin. Sin exists, period. A loving God could never have wrath. Well, no, a loving God can have wrath because he's so loving, he's taken the wrath upon himself through his son for you. Therefore, come to know him. Again, it's about being on his side. Less of me, more of you. He must increase. I must decrease. And as we anchor in the word, he reveals that more and more each day. That's where things shift. Because again, that searching of the heart that we talked about last week, that's where you have to search because the things that are in the way, the things that are standing from that intimacy with God, get it out, move it. What did we look at Sunday? The cleansing of the temple. If our body is as temple, what do we need to remove? What's in the way? Verse five, you have rebuked the nations, you have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Three you have statements. Rebuked, destroyed, blotted, judgment, confidence in God's justice system. This is a faithful prayer that takes place that has confidence in God's judgment. We have to have that faithful prayer. Now again, that faithful prayer is not an invitation to claim your will on a situation. I have to be clear with that with the culture that we're in today. It is not an invitation to claim your will. And if we think for ourselves, when we see scripture, we've got to take it thinking of all 66 books. We know the eternal judgment to come so clearly. We know how it goes down. We know He will rebuke. We know He will destroy. We know He will blot out unrepented sinners, never believing and receiving His gift. That's the reality. God handles those against His kids, God handles those against Him. What does it mean for us? Woohoo, we win! No, we pray. We pray for repentance. We pray for the salvation of people because the difference for us when we see these verses from David, we've got Jesus. We know the wrath has been laid on the Son of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We pray. We don't look at the circumstance, we look to God. We remember his design. We remember his timeline. We remember the judgment. And with faith in him, we know there's an eternal perspective on this. And the eternal perspective is pray for salvation. Pray for them to know the king. Because these you haves here that we see, this is something you will see throughout the Old Testament. It happens in the Old Testament. It's a prophetic perfect is what it's called. And as a prophetic perfect, it's describing events as if they've already happened and they're so certain that they will be fulfilled and occur. Again, that's not then, okay, so I'm going to have some prophetic perfects in my life. I'm getting that new car. Lord, you have given me the new car. Lord, you have given me the big house. Lord, you have given me a... No. Again, that's not it. We have the eternal perspective because we have the whole counsel of the word of God and what did Jesus Teach us, Lord, Father, your will be done. He's sovereign. Through Jesus, we have the eternal perspective. And for us, when it comes to the enemies, when it comes to the person that you want to make an enemy, there's one enemy, Satan. We looked at that. We talked about that. But pray for them. What did Jesus say about our enemies? Love them. And we have the eternal perspective that what we see in verses three through five, it's different for us because we know we're talking about the end and that is all going to come true. But how does that phase how we pray? We pray from a place of surrender. We pray from a place accepting his yes or no as best. Not fighting it, accepting it. Verse six, O oh O enemy, Destructions are finished forever and you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. So now he's talking, he's addressed everything to God. Now he's addressing to the enemies and he's saying, listen, y'all can try and do everything that you want, but your destruction's coming. Your destruction's coming. Now for us, again, we got to add a little step to this. Pray for repentance. Pray for repentance. Pray for them to turn around. Pray for those seeking to destroy culture. Pray for those rebelling against God to come to repentance, to come to know him. And this is a reality. It's a truth that could even be shared. Oh, enemy, destructions are finished forever and you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. And then reading verses three through five, like, listen, there's a reality here if you stay resisting and rebelling against God it's not gonna turn out well. But there is a savior, Jesus, who gives hope, who gives eternal life. We look at verse seven, but the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. You can think you're running so great. You can think that rebellion's gonna work, but the Lord capital L-O-R-D, personal relationship shall endure forever and he will judge. Now there's something else to notice here. In those verses, as he's going to the enemies, you don't see any mention from David about himself. You don't see David taking anything upon himself in this. He's putting it to God. He's humbly resting in who God is. He remembers God is the judge. He remembers God judges them. He remembers in that judgment that will come, it's not even about being against David, it's about being against God. Because it's all about God. And that's an important thing to remember because when we can feel like it's coming on us, we can get lost on, oh, it's me, it's me, this is so. They're coming against the God of creation if they're in rebellion against his way his design, his order. It's about God. Point it to God. Bring it to God. Look to God's character. Seek God's glory through it. Trust God's judgment in it. It's about God. Salvation, the moment of justification. Guess what it's about? God's glory. Our journey of sanctification. Guess what it's about? God's glory. The moment we enter into eternity with him. Worthy, worthy is the lamb. God's glory. We have to remember that. The enemy as we see, David surrenders completely to God. He removes himself from the trial. Do you do that? When the trial comes, when the hardship comes, do you remove yourself from it to truly leave it in God's hands, to truly look to him as author and finisher, to truly trust him as Alpha and Omega? Or do you stop and make it about yourself? Or do you stop and make it about complaining or whining or this or that? Or I'm going to do this or I'm going to write that post. Leave it to him. And as he does that, praise comes forth. Verse 8. He shall judge the world in righteousness and he shall administer judgment for the people's in uprightness. Now, when we see this, he shall judge the world in righteousness. In righteousness is in accordance to his word. Again, we take what we see here and we have to apply it to those of us. We get all 66 books. We get a little bit more than David gets. We have to realize he judges according to his word. And when you realize that, take peace and comfort in that because you've got the playbook. You've got the playbook. And we know how it all ends. He shall judge the world in righteousness and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. David's praising here. And what is he praising? God's righteous rule and judgment. The reality of heaven and hell is praised in this moment. He shall. We often praise the mercy and the grace of God. When was the last time you praised his righteous judgment and his authority and rule over all? That's something to give praise unto God for. Praise you, Lord, that you are the righteous judge. Praise you, Lord, that you are sovereign and in control. Because right in this moment, David's resting in God's sovereignty. And we have to do that even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of woe is me. Guess who's still on the throne? Jesus. He's still ruling, he's still in control. Verse 9, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. The Lord also will be. When we look at that, it's that he's sovereign. He's just judge. As if that's not enough. I know sometimes in men's study, Pastor David would go, there's more, there's more. He will also be a refuge for the oppressed. A refuge in times of trouble. Realize the beauty. Realize the comfort in that. In times of trouble, Scottish Baptist preacher Alexander McLaren observed, this translates a rare word and occurs only here and in Psalm 10.1. It means a cutting off, i.e. of hope of deliverance. The notion of distress intensified to despair is conveyed. This is all hope is gone. This is, I'm done. I give up. And in that, what does he remind? The Lord in those moments is a refuge. A refuge. The question then behooves, where do you take refuge? Where do you seek refuge in trouble? And we've got to be honest with that. Social media is often a refuge. A miss comes on, something comes wrong, and we just start scrolling on the phone. And it's innocent, because you, you, you might not even say I'm, your intentions to take it to the Lord, but you just finished it, and it's like, oh, I have a notification, and then suddenly I'm now scrolling and looking at pictures and looking at this, and then I'm going down that rabbit hole. Screens. That's something that we seek refuge in. Food. Something we may seek refuge in. Sex, lust, something we seek refuge in. Alcohol, something we seek refuge in. Shutting away from the world. This is so miserable. I'm not going to church tonight. I can't go to church this Sunday. I'm too upset. I'm staying in bed and I'm cranky. Meh. We can't do that. Our refuge is the Lord. And it's the personal relationship Lord that we see there. That's the only refuge. Nothing else is going to give you refuge. He can only give you refuge. The God of creation through his son, through his Holy Spirit that can dwell in you if you believe and receive is the only place that we can get refuge. Period. There's nowhere else. And again, if we think of what we looked at tonight in Hebrews before prayer, Hebrews 4, 14. Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then, That we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Hold fast. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. There is nothing that you go through. There is nothing that will come at you that Jesus cannot sympathize with. That is a promise. So don't look to the bottle for sympathy. Don't look to Instagram for sympathy. Don't look to TikTok for sympathy to find some person espousing false gospel to look up to. Look to Jesus. But who was in all points, all points, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's our savior. That's the refuge. That's the refuge. David saw God as the refuge. David didn't have Jesus Messiah come yet. And was able to sing this. And see this. How much more should we be able to remember. The refuge he is. Then verse 10. And those who know your name. Will put their trust in you. For you Lord. Have not forsaken. Those who seek you. That's the nugget verse I was talking about. Look at that again. And those who know your name, those who have a personal relationship, those who have intimacy with you, will put their trust in you, will have faith in you, will believe your word, will take it at face value and take it as the food, the bread of life that it is. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. When you read that, where's your heart on that? Where is your heart on remembering, knowing his name? And this is in context of God, but for us saints, we've got Jesus, Messiah, the word become flesh. Know the name of Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. He will not forsake you if you seek him. How do I seek him? Get in the word. You've got to be in his word. You've got to be seeking the filling of his Holy Spirit to fill you that you can understand the word. And you've got to search your heart as you read that to ponder. When have I ever felt forsaken by God? Because if we're going to be real, everyone's going to have a moment where you feel like, is God really there? Is God really listening? Does God really care? There could be a big venture ahead in your life that you're going to do and you don't feel like God's right there. There could be sin in your life that you're dealing with and things that you're doing. that sin that you think nobody knows but guess what? God knows everything. And you have that facing and you might feel like there's forsaking. There's issues you don't want to speak about. Whatever it is, and the enemy can try to deceive you to get locked in that web. But take stock, saints. Where is your relationship with him? Where is your faith in him? And truly, how are you seeking him? It's again, that relationship with his word. It's the relationship with being in church, being with him, be in his word, be in church, learn who he is. As you learn who someone is, what do you learn? You learn about their character. You learn where they're faithful. You learn their history, you learn their story, and bam, there's the evidence. To stand on, there's the refuge that goes together. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble, and those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who seek you live Psalm 1. They live Psalm 1. They remember. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. They live in that. That's why this book of Psalms started with Psalm 1. God makes it clear. The anchor has got to be the word. If that's not the anchor, it's not going to work. And you've got to seek him. In a culture that will tell you to seek me. In a culture that will tell you to seek your own wealth. Your own grandioseness. Check yourself. Seek him. Know his name. Faith in him. And what does it turn to? Verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Praise Remember, we talked about the flow of this psalm. He's back at that praise. Sing praises to the Lord. Sing praises to the Lord. Where is he? On Zion. For us, what does that mean? Remember the millennial reign to come and Jesus reigning forever and ever. Sing praises. And as you sing those praises, remember one of those means of praise as we saw last week is to tell of his marvelous works. Here he says, declare his deeds among the people. Share what he's done. Share who he is. Witness about him. Tell about him. Remember what we saw this weekend when we looked at 2 Corinthians, and we'll go there briefly. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. uh, Chapter 2, sorry, verse 12. Verse 15, just kidding. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. This is 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 2, verse 15, now 16. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of from God, we speak In the sight of God in Christ. That sincerity comes from a heart living. Verse 10 of Psalm 9. Know your name. Trust in you. Seeking him. That's where that comes from. It's praise. It's worship. It's a life, as we said earlier. That's a worship song to him. And verse 12. That avenging of the blood. We remember he's a refuge. He cares For the oppressed. Now, this isn't the oppressed the way the world uses that word now. We're all oppressor and oppressors. I'm oppressed. You're oppressed. Guess what, folks? There's one oppressor, Satan. That's it. That's it. There's no other one. It's Satan. And guess what? The refuge is Christ. That's it. That's how it goes. And he avenges even the blood. Look at the first murder with Abel. Genesis 4.10, what does God say? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The picture and story of blood in the Bible. So important to track with. So important to see how it goes, that sacrifice and then that ultimate sacrifice in Christ. In this moment, David stands in praise. David stands on God's faithful character. And now we see David gets specific and personal in verse 13. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death. That I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. Now notice, David does something that we're seeing again, looking at a portrait of one person, consistency. He says, have mercy on me. Mercy, guilty as charged. Mercy, no, I'm a sinner. Mercy, it's a gift that you still relate with me and give me a relationship. Have mercy on me. And we see that phrase we've talked about already. Oh, that emotion and Lord, personal relationship. He's consistent in how he goes to God, humbly and honest. Have mercy on me. He doesn't just say, I need this, I want this. He says, have mercy on me. Mercy puts us in a place of submission because we're saying it's your will, not mine. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. Consider, that's a simple request. Please consider this. Consider what's going on. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that imagery. And he's saying, I need that deliverance and that deliverance can only come from you. Which is why the next verse, we leave the gates of death to the gates of the daughter of Zion. That I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in your salvation. Notice something important about David's cry for deliverance. It ain't just about David. He wants to tell of all your praise. He wants to rejoice in the salvation. If we look at when David says, I... In this psalm, Psalm 1, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Then we have here that I may tell of your praise. I will rejoice in your salvation. David's eyes are about God. And we have to ponder in your prayer life, in your worship life, when you say, I... Is it about him or is it an I just pointing to self? Do you say, Lord, I will praise you. Lord, I will tell of what you've done. Lord, I will seek to glorify you. Or is it, Lord, I really need dot, dot, dot. Lord, I really want dot, dot, dot. And I'm not saying we don't go to the Lord with our cries for what we need. But I am going to say, If you know his name, if you put your trust in him and if you're seeking him and that seeking is in his word, your prayer life's going to change a little. Your eyes are going to change as your eyes are fixed on him. Your eyes will shift. The eyes that come out of your mouth will be about the king, not about you. And we got to wonder when you say, God, help me. Is it just about you? Or is it about his glory? Is it about beyond you? And then rejoicing in your salvation. David says, I will rejoice in your salvation. How do you take those words? How do you rejoice? You who has his whole word before you. Who knows the end. How do you rejoice in the works of the Lord? Look to him. Verse 15. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made. In the net which they hid their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation. Selah. We have that selah again, that pause, that slow down, that ponder. They sit in the pit that they've made. The net that they made to catch their own foot is caught. Have we seen it before? Remember Haman? What goes down with him? Remember Joseph's brothers? Judas? God uses it for his purposes, for his glory. The wicked, the evil, those against God, he's reminding, they're just digging a deeper pit. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? In vanity we saw that. Because they're not going to get anywhere. You can't take down the God of creation. And if we look at the juxtaposition here, verse 10 says, and those who know your name will put their trust in you for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Then verse 16, the Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation, the Lord being known. He's either gonna be known by name and faith and trust and relationship or known by eternal judgment away from him. There's two options. There's two things there. It's a wicked snare. And I wonder how anybody hearing the lyrics because remember this is a hymn book. This is this is praise songs. What what would they ponder if they were on the other side of this? How do you respond hearing this? Security in him alone. Cleansing ourselves for him. That's an important thing we looked at that on Sunday. And it's the reminder as we look at those verses I don't want us to go down the path where we read verse 15 and 16 and think, ah, I can think of those people, those liberals, or those people coming for the kids in the schools. They're going to get what they deserve. They're so bad. They're so this. Whoa. What are you doing? You're casting judgment. You're not approaching it with the mind of Christ. Christ. Our job as believers isn't to just look at the sin and point. Sunday, I could have done a whole message with the temple that was just all about, look at Jesus calling out the sin. Guys, go call out the sin. Call everybody sinners. They're filthy. They're horrible. They're scum. And we'd all feel great. We'd never search ourselves. We'd never be who we would need to be. And I wonder what crowns would be lost at the Bema seat of judgment. We need to be a body of believers that when we see in scripture, the wicked, the evil, Ask yourself, who do I need to pray for their salvation? Who do I need to pray that they come to know the Lord? Are you spending more time griping about the people coming for kids? Are you spending more time praying that they would come to know Jesus? Are you spending more time praying that Christians would be present in the schools to stand up for the kids, that parents would go to meetings, that things would change? Where are you spending the time? So just a pulse check as we move forward on this journey. When we see that, don't just wag the finger. Look at self too. It's a double-edged sword that we hold. Verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. All nations that forget God is another way of saying wicked. Now, for those of us, again, in the culture of today, we can really think, whew, forgetting God. That's a deep thing. He points to the conclusion those that never embrace the grace and mercy, the gift of Jesus, they're going to be in hell. The final destruction is hell. The church can't avoid talking about hell. We as believers can't be afraid to say hell because it is a reality, but it also is something we can't then abuse. And we can't use as a manipulative tool. We just have to stick to the truth. God is love. That's truth. And guess what love is? This. This is love. They that forget God. What do they forget? They forget that there's a God of creation. They forget that God is sovereign. They forget that God is. They forget God's word. They forget God's spirit. They forget that God is the just judge. They forget him. What does it look like today? Pushing God out. We can't have Bibles here. We can't have prayer here. Christians are offensive. The Bible's actually got a lot of hate speech in it. That's what it looks like today. That's what it looks like now. That's why we need to be praying for the youth of this church. That's why we need to be praying for the families of this church, that they unite, that they stand strong, that they anchor on the word of God. And then that's also where we need to ask ourselves, am I forgetting God in any way that I live? God, where am I forgetting you? It's that open-heart surgery. Where am I forgetting you, God? Where am I leaving you on the table? God requires surrender and change. Pride, doubt, unbelief stay in the way of those things. Search, pray, seek Him. Verse 18, For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. The needy, the poor... Remember Psalm 4. What does David say there? He says, verse 6, There are many who say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. He remembers the Aaronic blessing in that moment. But it's the same thing going on here. Where it's looking, and there can be that feeling of needy. There can be that feeling of poor. There can be that feeling of abandonment. Of is there any hope? Or remembering past. How do I move forward? Something I like to think of in that moment when Paul wrote in Philippians chapter three, verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things are which behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. How does that tie here? In those moments of feeling forgotten, of feeling needy, of feeling alone, those aren't the times to give up. Those are the times to keep praying. Those are the times to keep getting into the word of God. I feel like there's no point getting to the word of God. Keep reading. Keep going to him. Keep serving him. Keep worshiping him. Keep trusting in him. And his timing, his answer will be perfect. It's been weeks. His timing, his answer will be perfect. It's resting in his sovereignty. It's resting in trusting. To trust and surrender is denying self. Self Self-denial is denying the way we think it should be. Do you realize that in denying yourself? You got to give up how you think it should be. It's got to be his way. Verse 19. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. He says here, arise, O Lord. Total surrender. God, come. God, you take it. God, you do it. You do what you have done and do, God. And then it's a prayer, a call for man to fear. Because they see who he is. They know who he is. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Remember the psalm before this, Psalm 8, looking at creation, looking at how insignificant we are, realizing that he cares. Our prayer should be that in the moment of realizing who God is, how big and powerful God is, who God is on the throne, may they come to a place of repentance, of realizing their insignificance, and may they fear the God of creation. Because what does Proverbs 1-7 tell us? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Culture doesn't want Jesus. It's hurting. They're going to go for all these different things. But the only thing that people fear is losing man's approval. Don't unfollow me. How many likes did I get? How many retweets did I get? How come she didn't call me back yet? How come I didn't get that text back yet? Imagine if all that was put towards the Lord. Towards reverence. Towards my Savior. My King. That needs to be the the heart that we pray for people. For all. Tonight's message was titled, To Praise, it's part two. Last week, we looked at the whole heart. And again, when we look at this psalm, David isn't looking at the circumstance. He's looking at God's faithfulness. He's looking at God's character. He's looking at God's justice. We have to look to God's justice. We have to look and live with an eternal mindset where we remember God It's justice is perfect. We've got to embrace the truth. Heaven and hell are real. Hell is God's justice. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Jesus. We can't not, See that. Tell of him. Praise him. Point people to him. So the charge for this week, simple. Seek him as you never have before. Word and worship. That's how you're seeking him. Dig in the word like you never have before. Dig in him like you never have before. Not saying, by next week, read the whole Bible. No, no. But dig in. You might just end up taking one verse and sitting with it on a rock for three, four hours. I don't have that time. You might stay up at night to do it or wake up early. He sacrificed for you. Can you sacrifice a few hours for him? Get in the word and worship like never before. And then when we look at the world, when we look at everything going on, charge this week, pray as you never have before for salvation and repentance. Pray for the salvation of people. Pray for conviction. We talked about that Sunday. I pray that we're a church that loves conviction because it's a gift from Him to get us closer to Him. Seek your own conviction. Seek the conviction and repentance within your homes. Seek the conviction and repentance of our church. Seek the conviction and repentance of the greater church, of our community, and so on. Everybody wants things to change. I want to see revival. I want to see this. I want to see people seeking Jesus. That's when what everybody's trying is going to shift. And we know he's going to come at any time. But until he comes, be about his business. Get in the word. Make this a week about his word and worshiping him. And let that being in the word and worship drive you to tell of his marvelous works, to declare his wonderful deeds to pray for souls that don't know him, that they would come to repentance and that they would know his name, that they would trust in his name, that they would seek him more. Because we never can have enough. For us, keep seeking. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the reminder of your justice. Lord, when there's so many things that can frustrate us, Lord, and can drive us crazy, Heavenly Father, I I pray that you would help us to live the words in Psalm 4 that we can see that anger moment, but not sin, Lord, that we can come to you in prayer, that we can pour it out to you, that we can remember your justice. We can remember the eternal victory. And Lord, knowing how it all ends, that we can have that as a driver to pray for salvation, to pray for repentance. And Lord, to share, to tell of your marvelous works, to tell of the stories of your word, to tell of the stories of what you've done in our lives, Lord, that people could know you and worship you. Lord, help us to take this week to dig in like we've never had before, to worship you as we never have before, Lord, to praise you as we never have, and to tell others about you. Please, Lord, help us to do that. We love and praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Have a good night.